Hey everyone, welcome to Untucked. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about investor behavior. We are going to discuss um, how to deal with bad news. And then we are going to talk about uh, Nintendo video games and whether or not they are considered or should be considered recession proof. We'll wrap up with The Last Dance and our top five. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 29 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. And this is Jeff. Uh, Meg, I may have shared this with you before. Uh, I'm not sure, though. But did you guys know that the chemical chlorine doesn't have any smell? There is no smell to chlorine. Even when it's mixed with water, you, you can't smell it. So what is it that we're smelling? Is it some sort of chemical reaction with something else, with the air? I'm guessing it's a chemical reaction with urine. Is with that- urine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, disgusting. You did share this with me before. Yeah. It's actually not just urine. It's like sweat. It's saliva. It's anything that's kind of coming out of your body. That that um, that chemical mixed with chlorine creates that chlorine smell. So what you're smelling is people's piss and sweat mixed with so, so why would I ever go into like a gym pool again, which I don't, but that's kind of like when you, when you say to somebody, okay, like walking into like a ACAC pool, you smell strong immediately and sweat and, and like, like, like whatever, all that, all the crap. You're not smelling like a good chemical that's killing it. You're smelling the aftermath of it. <laughs> Well, what's crazy is like that smell, like it reminds me of summer and good times and pool. <laughs> and it's, it's none of that, dude. It's people's sweat mixed with chlorine. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's super gross. <laughs> and it's a smell that like just saying it, you can, you can like almost, you can smell it. Like I can yeah. smell it right now. Um, yeah. And then when, even when you're in an outdoor pool. Like, and you're in the water, you can smell the, what I thought was the chlorine. Nope. Turns out. So, Mike, I, w- I shouldn't stop you to want to go. Like, it just means that those things are mixing. I mean, it, the urine's gone. The, you know, it's but, all gone. But but I don't know that. I don't know who's winning. Is the piss and sweat winning or is the, or is the chlorine winning? That's what so, I want to know. So this guy did a study. He got a bucket filled with water uh, and he poured chlorine in it. And he had a, another bucket filled with water and chlorine and he closed the lids, opened them up like a week later, no smell. He pulled your pour, poured urine into one bucket, closed the lid, opened it a week later. The other bucket still no smell, one with piss in it. Like, and then he went around and he tested like your hot tub. He tested the local community pool. He tested, you know, like your, your gym pool. And he, and he came up with like the amount of urine per like gallon and it's, or how many gallons of urine is in like your pool. You don't want to see it. He graphically showed it like yellow buckets of uh, like gallons of water. <laughs> I mean, so again, like, doesn't that mean that the more chlorine 
smell there is, the dirtier the situation is. Probably, probably. Still like, at, you know, hard at work trying to battle the piss. I mean, I, I that's a good fun fact because I'm going to think differently from here on out. <laughs> 28 fun facts later, you finally get <laughs> from Mike. <laughs> I'm sure Monkey Fishbowl 492 will will hate it. I think it was Softball <laughs> Monkey. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. In lieu of Philly sports or sports in general, since there are none, we'll wrap up this episode like we have the last couple with um, our recap of the last dance. Um, so let's just go right into Coach's Corner. Sure. Um, this article is called Regrettable Behavior. It was written by Adam Grossman and it's his blog, the Humble Dollar blog. Uh, As humans, we suffer from many biases and behavioral tendencies that make investing very difficult. Adam's blog post focuses on regret specifically and attempts to offer some context around a couple of specific biases or tendencies that we as investors often fall victim to. The ones he mentioned specifically are loss aversion, rumination, the break-even effect, and the brother-in-law effect. I think they're all spot on, like absolutely spot on. Um, I know like in my own investment experience, I've had like the same emotions. Uh, You know, invested money. We'll just say, uh, I'll make up an example, like invested 10 grand, it's up to like 13,000. And I don't feel that great about it. In meaning like it's up, let's say it's up 30%. It's not that big of a deal, but if it was down 30, I'd feel way worse. And I've also in the past, like not really celebrated that gain. It's like, okay, well I put 10 in, it's worth 13, but you know, so now my new, my new starting point is like 13. I need to go up from there. So kind of anchored on that number. But I, I've had all of those same emotions in my investment experience. Yeah. So I think <clears throat> he starts out the article talking about the, the, um, the two prevailing emotions in investing are fear and greed. Right. And then he says, oh, I'm going to add a third to that. And that's regret. And then he goes on and names all these other, I'm going to be a little bit critical of the article. I think we're starting to slice and dice behavioral biases a little too finely. <laughs> um, I think that it really, it all comes down to fear. I don't even think greed is much of a, a factor. I think it's fear of losing money. And I think it's fear of missing out when your brother-in-law and when others are making money and you're not. I think fear is by far the prevailing uh, emotion that, dominates investor psychology. I don't think greed really plays a huge part in most people's um, world. And all the other stuff, I feel like it's just another way of saying the same thing. I love the article. I think it's all it's all accurate, but I feel like people are trying to put too fine. They're, they're getting a little bit too psychological with, with giving up what is a basic fear in investors. That, that's my take. Um, I didn't agree with one thing he, he mentioned. He said like that there's value in looking back to, so that you can help kind of figure out what to do next time, like what, how you should act differently next time by looking back. And I just, 
I think next time is going to be different. So whatever you learned emotionally from the past, with from specifically from investing, I don't think it's going to most uh, necessarily help you the next time something happens. Totally agree with that, Jeff. Totally agree with that. I think one one thing I've heard people say is you should like keep a diary of what you're thinking when you make decisions. Let's say you're on your own and you're buying stuff or selling stuff or not buying and you write down specifically why you're doing something or not doing something, that might be helpful for you to go back and be like, oh yeah, I forgot that I was 100% sure that, you know, company XYZ was going to, you know, triple. And when it went to zero, remind yourself what you were really thinking at that time. I don't know how realistic that is to do, but I agree with you, Jeff, like going back Monday morning quarterbacking, like, what you did or what you didn't do. I don't see the value in that at all. No, I think because too many people are too emotional and <clears throat> I'll say ignorant for lack of a better word. Uh, I mean, they're just not, I, th- I think, as smart as they think they are when it comes to this stuff. They look back and they're like, oh, I should have, uh, you know, shouldn't have bought it low because I, I knew it would have gone down another 20%. Like it's, they're just going to tie themselves in knots and think that they are smarter than they really are. The- right. And you can, and you can never really put yourself back in that moment, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, you can never really separate what you know has happened from what you didn't know at the time. Um, it sounds so simple, but I think it's, so, it's really important. Um, I, I, I still think though, that the number one most important bias in emotional investing to, for lack of a better term is confirmation bias. It's the, after the fact, um, something happens and you're like, I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew I should have bought Amazon. I knew it. No, you didn't. And, and, and it's also that, that tendency to try to others who have the same opinion as you. We've talked about this a, a lot on this pod. And that's, that, to me, is one of the most powerful and dangerous biases that we all have. And the biggest challenge is just to try to constantly be aware of it, in my view. It's the client we talked to today. Um, he's been sitting in cash for a long time and um, in our conversation felt very validated in that decision because of how volatile the, you know, the market was in March and like sees no, is not looking back and saying, oh, what did I miss by not participating in the recovery is saying I wasn't there and I didn't experience any of it and I'm, I'm okay with that. And it's now going to influence any decision he makes trying to get in if he ever decides to. When are you going to get in? You're not in now. You didn't. Like he thinks he's, he made the right decision by not investing with us at the end of our investment planning, which was, I don't know, maybe like February. I, I don't even know. Probably even further back than that. But because he missed that downturn, he thinks he made the right call. Like, dude, you're never going to get in. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It was a happy accident. Happy is a terrible word. It was an accident that he ended up kind of validating his fear all along, which was that a shoe is going to drop and I'm going to buy in and the markets are going to plunge. Well, Jeff, you're exactly right. The, the, the problem with this is that the short-term win that he had on paper from, as an investor by being in cash over the last couple of months, really actually it's way longer for him, but is going to be dwarfed by the, the, the opportunity cost of missing 
the rest of his investing life because he's going to sit there in cash and and hope to not and, and hopefully there's no inflation for this guy. Hopefully, um, the only way that I think you can control behavior, unless you're a robot, is to hire someone else to do it or just ignore it. You're either going to completely ignore your portfolio and then you won't be phased by it or you got to hire somebody else to do it because you're, you're going to get emotional at some point. I'm convinced of it, man. Convinced of it. Agree. <laughs> I was thinking I recently went through um, Schwab's robo enrollment with somebody, which they refer to as like a risk tolerance questionnaire, which I would argue it's like a really bad job of doing that. But one of the questions it asks is, how do you make financial decisions? And the answers are confidently and not looking back, um, unsure of myself. And like the, the word they use is not like seesawing, but back going back and forth. And then I don't, I overthink it and don't make a decision. And of all the questions, I think that's an incredibly hard question to answer there are so many people who overthink to the point where they don't make a decision or people who are just, they teeter totter in between. And I mean, I think it can relate to a million different things, but um, from an investing standpoint, it makes, it's just hard to do this. Like, I guess my point is there are so many things going on in our brains that make this stuff really difficult. And to your point, Jeff, if you don't hire someone to help you, you're left to your own devices and it's not a great place to be. <laughs> Investing is <clears throat> completely different than anything else. So when I want to buy a car, I research, I compare prices, I buy the car, and then I move on. I do not look to see if I could have bought it cheaper the week after I bought it. Um, it's, it's in the past. <clears throat> Investing doesn't work that way. You see what you paid for it as, I mean, as much as you want to. You know what you paid for it. People are constantly going to look back at was that the right decision or the wrong decision, especially if they're investing in short term or trading in the short term. Yeah, because there's a the challenge is that there's a scorecard in your face every day, um, which is the account balance or the quote or the what the market's doing. And unless you can and the rare client who can can or wants to just detach completely from that, which is the right behavior for almost everybody. It's really hard to do. It's really hard because you don't have, you know, whether you buy a house or a car or any other big purchase, you don't have that in your, unless you're a, a psycho and Jeff, in your example, like you're seeking out like what the price of that car is every week for the next year. Right. right. That, there's other issues that you have, but, yeah, I mean, that's why investing is so difficult because the right things to do are there's a, there's a force that, that acts against that every day, which is turn off the NBC or pull up your your account statement, real time quotes. I mean, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Cool. Uh, should you immerse yourself in bad news these days or ignore it completely? Hal Hirschfield from Scientific American or America, I'm not sure, .com. Um, his article discusses the best way for us to absorb bad news, which is, as told in this article, which is not to ignore the news completely, but attempt to experience joy alongside of it. This is probably difficult for a lot of people right now, but the concept, at least to me, seemed pretty common sense. Um, bad things won't feel as bad 
if we have good things happening too. Like who has a bad thing happen to them? Like you have brain cancer. Okay. Um, let me put a happy thought in my head now. Like who does that? He used it at the end of the article. The woman wanted to go to the opera. She was, you know, breast oh. She yeah. found out she was terminal. Like she wasn't going to go to the opera until she beat cancer. And then she found she was terminal. So she's like, I'm bringing it with me. It's going to sit in the seat next to me. And she enjoyed the opera. I just don't, I mean, I understand that in this extreme example, when you have cancer, I, I firmly believe that if you have a positive attitude, Hey, I'm going to beat this, the results will probably be better. I mean, I, I truly believe your emotions can help you through a lot of things and a lot of physical things as well. Like if you are going to go play a game or play a, um, you know, a basketball game against your buddies and, and you're sitting there, like, I'm going to win this game. I'm going to win this game. And you're telling yourself you're going to win. I think you have a better chance to win. I mean, the article, I was kind of like, eh, I mean, it's sort of like, well, obviously, but it's using examples of extreme like distress, like someone's diagnosed with terminal cancer and then like, how do you cope? Okay. So I think about, all right, well, Tom Hanks is stranded on desert Island and cast away, figures out how to make fire, like small wind, but it's like, it's like counterbalances all the awfulness of the situation or he, he befriends a volleyball and it's like the greatest thing in the world because small, small victories, right? Like enable him to get through the, the horribleness of his daily you know, situation. No? No, I'm I think that's exactly it. I guess my point is like, uh, of course, like you have a shitty thing happening and there's something good, big or small, like it's going to affect how shitty or not you feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm, maybe we're saying the same thing, which is, I feel yeah. like the article was like, yeah, we, no shit. Right. Right. That's kind of how I interpret it. Like this is like on a, like a science blog and they're talking about like a research study. And I was like, we need to research this. <laughs> Did anybody understand the carrot and the onion ring? No, I'm glad you brought that up because was it Mitch Hedberg? Is that the guy's name? The, the comedian? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was Mitch Hedberg. He said, um, it would be cool if you could eat a carrot with an onion ring and they would travel down to your stomach. Then they would get there and the carrot would say, it's cool. He's with me. <laughs> and that was it. There was no like punchline, right? I mean, or that was. <laughs> I mean, did it mean like it'd be cool? Like the onion ring gets digested and is good for you. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think that's what it was trying to say, but it, it's like, what? It's terrible. But that's how I interpret it. Like, okay, so one's good for you. One's bad for you. And we want both of them to be absorbed. Like they're good. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, I hate onion rings and I love carrots. So like, <laughs> You can keep both of them. I'm not a huge carrot fan unless it's dipped in hummus, and I've never <laughs> had an onion ring in my life. You've never had an onion ring? Never had an onion ring, ever. I don't really care for onion rings. I can get down with raw carrots. If you cook a carrot, don't come near me with it. Yeah, I'm with <laughs> you. All right, so think positive thoughts when shitty stuff is happening to you. Yeah. According to science. That's what science <laughs> <laughs>
Um, all right, Jeff's favorite topic, video games. As the world weathers a pandemic, Nintendo may just be recession-proof. John Irwin from the Washington Post uh, wrote an article detailing the ongoing success and continued innovation from Nintendo through significant global market and economic events, specifically October 1987, 2008, and now. Um, Despite COVID-19 and the impact it's having on so many people and companies, Nintendo just announced its, its strongest fiscal results in a decade. Is Nintendo considered recession proof i think it's a no-brainer that the answer is yes and i think it just opens up the discussion to like what else is recession proof like funeral homes are recession proof because you're gonna die and no one can handle that on their own they need to hire people to do that although i'm I'm gonna stop you there um aren't we not having funerals right now oh good point meg no they're still having funerals I thought that, like, I mean, the 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 embalming of the body, like the mortician side of it, I get, but like the actual funeral home who's putting together a service. I mean, aren't people not congregating for those right now? Yeah, I mean, dude, is that? I don't need to go off on a tangent, but I mean, is that where the funeral home makes money? Is preparing the service? I think where they make money is is embalming the body, putting it in the casket, putting it in the ground, and that's all still happening. Probably right. Nintendo, like I read this article and I was just blown away at how long Nintendo has been around. And as yeah, I, was, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. All the iterations that they've had. I mean, I remember Nintendo as a kid in like fourth or fifth grade, the Nintendo system came out. And then I'm thinking about all of the other, like the Switch is their new biggest hit and it's killing it. We have, two, we own two of them. Kayla has one, Tyler has one. And they are infatuated with this animal, um, animal crossings. Kayla is obsessed with it, obsessed. And then they had DSs and they had um, other like Nintendo Pocket. Like they, they've had so many different systems and handhelds. They keep going. It's unbelievable. Was, Jeff, was, was Tech Mobile Nintendo? Yep. Okay, yep. that's the last one I remember. So I've, I've never really, I mean, I was an Atari guy. Space Invaders, the early days, Tech Mobile maybe in college. But we didn't play video games in college, really. I mean, it was – and then since then, nothing. Maybe I played like NHL 94, you know. Even <laughs> Meg's laughing. And, and, and that's pretty much the last time I played a video – other than like we, you know, we something with the family or whatever. But – Right, we. I forgot about that. Is that Nintendo? Yeah, yeah. No, they've they've killed it for that. I mean, you just rattled off all that, but I'm not the one to speak about the appeal of. I, I mean, I know the appeal of video games and stuff, but I don't think anything's recession proof. And maybe recession is the wrong word. If you have a bad enough one, people are not going to be able to like pay for that stuff that stuff it's not free i mean you don't buy the console and then that's it i mean right isn't it like an ongoing revenue stream from stuff that you buy on there and if you have a family that can't afford to have their kids loading up the you know in-game purchases that's going to end in a in a bad enough form no i don't know man it's like you buy the console the consoles last years 
years. And then they come out with a new one and people replace them. And, and then during that whole time frame between those, they come out with new games like Madden. So Madden I'm referring to is, is PlayStation. They have a new football game every year and kids die for it because they want the updated players. They want the rookies that just came in the league. They want Patrick Mahomes and he's not on Madden 94. So, and that's not a, that's not a huge investment, right? Like the kid can get Madden 2020 for Christmas. So the people that are struggling, yeah, they may have to wait a little bit longer and save up, but I don't know, man, I think it's recession proof. I don't think there's anything that can hurt it other than a competitor comes out with something better. But video games have been so strong from when I was a kid and they're like just as strong now. I see it with my kids. And then, I mean, forget about even Fortnite. I mean, that's got kids from the age of four years old playing it through to people in their like 40s and 50s playing it. It's unbelievable. The staying power of video games. Like the first video game was like a triangle that spun around in a circle and shot little rocks. Like and it was all black and white asteroids, I think it was Asteroids. Called. Yeah, I mean, that's like, like how far they've come along is unbelievable to me, man. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not a video game player, never really was, but I probably fall into that camp, Jeff, a little bit more than Mike's. And I guess like everything that's happening now is just validating that for me because of what we can't do and video games, you can. Like there's there's no requirement aside from an internet connection, um, which I don't even think you need for all consoles, but... Uh, there's very little if you already have them that you need to participate or to play. And with literally like the world being shut down, it doesn't stop them from playing and buying new stuff. I mean, I can't imagine a world where that changes too dramatically. It's technology. So it's going to continue to evolve and change and it's going to continue to be um, wanted and people are going to want the new thing that comes out and the better graphics and you think about phones and how much they've changed and people are clamoring for the new iPhone. They're going to continue to clamor for the new technology when it, when it comes to video games. A lot of clamoring. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the last dance, uh, episode seven and eight. So episode seven, Jordan's father's murder, him playing baseball and then Scotty becoming number one player on the Bulls. And then eight was, I'm back. I know we'll start start with seven, but that is like the most badass return to anything in the history of everything. <laughs> it was pretty badass, dude. Uh, seven. I totally forgot that his dad was murdered. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, I totally forgot. So I thought as I'm watching it, I started to like think about where I was because I was a huge Jordan fan, but I was a huge Jordan fan in, I'd say, seventh and eighth grade and probably like freshman, sophomore year, junior year, maybe all through high school, college. And I, I mean, I really didn't care too much anymore about sports like that. So... I don't really – I mean, I remember him going into baseball. I remember he sucked at baseball. I mean, but I forget. 
I don't know. I think Hitting there's 200 after like not playing against 31 years old to show up. And I mean, look, 200 is not getting anyone anywhere in baseball, but I mean, he didn't, he wasn't at it that long. He was at it. What a no. year, not even maybe six months. No, there are not a lot of humans who could do what he did. No, I could do that. Oh my no, I thought, well, here's what I, here are my, my takeaways from seven. Man, the media is just a bunch of despicable, and this is generalizing, but my God, like the media, and, and by the way, like this is no different today. Like the negativity is what they're after. It's about taking people down. It's about, you know, ripping Jordan for his baseball skill to your point jeff or 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 insinuating that his dad was killed because of his michael's gambling like it is just hard to watch from that standpoint and it's and nothing has changed it's not it's gotten worse it's now it's not just media it's anyone who has a social media handle can can have an opinion that gets you know almost directly to the person they're talking about were either of you guys just absolutely amazed at how cool he stays through all that crap? Yeah, like not losing his mind, still doing interviews, people asking him, like literally asking him, you know, what you just said, Mike, was was his dad's death related to his gambling? Like, how did he not lose his mind on people? How did he stay, stay so posed or poised in interviews? It's unbelievable to me. That dismisses his bad teammate character to me with how much he had to handle and deal with it was i was amazed by it here's another thing that i was amazed by his first game back he's got his shorts on backwards <laughs> is that for real he's got his shorts on backwards <laughs> yeah that's something i would do I don't like <laughs> to that is something you could do jeff um the Pippin game. So I guess it was the first season without Mike and he Phil draws up the play for Kukoc and mm. Pippin stays on the bench. Dude, I had no idea that ever happened. And Phil's fuck him. Like I was just like that is awesome coaching. <laughs> like to not even blink an eye and just be like I got another guy. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe Scotty did it. I couldn't believe the way Phil just moved on. I, I mean, I couldn't believe Tony made this shot. Like all of the whole thing, I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty cool, Scotty. I mean, grow up, dude. And then he he said, "If I had to do it over, I'd probably do the same thing." By the way, yeah, that was a weird comment. I'm like, I'm not sure where I shake out on, like, there's just been a couple things where I understand he was underpaid. I understand he was like one of the best players in the league and that, but that's no one's fault, but yours and your agents. Like that's a, that's a function of the work someone did or didn't do. I, I don't, this whole like air of you owe me something. I don't know if I like if I'm into it. I, I'm I'm kind of like annoyed by it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you agree to the deal, man. You 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 want to renegotiate your contract? Do that. I mean, you got to get what's yours. And if you don't do that, how do you hold that grudge 
on the court when you have other people that rely on you. And then Kukoc drained the shot, dude. Like right in your eye, Scotty. I loved how and this is gonna be turn out to be me ripping on baseball yet again, but I loved how Jordan goes and plays baseball for whatever number of months, working out every day, working hard, and then he comes back. And then so like they were, you know, basically like he's not in shape, he's tired, he's and he admitted it and and you know, saying he was baseball, he had a baseball body, not a not a basketball body. He had to work to get that back. And it's true. Like, how can you be, how can you even compare remotely a baseball player, even at the highest level, based on what they do on a day-to-day basis versus an NBA NFL or a hockey player? I'll just use the other three majors as, as an like baseball is a joke. <laughs> well, Anytime you can have a body like Pete Incavilia or John Crock and play a professional <laughs> sport, I mean they basically look like John Daly, but and they play baseball. Uh, <laughs> it just it just goes to show you, yeah. Basketball is, I think, by far, and hockey the most conditioned sport. Like, you have to be in, in really unbelievable shape to play them both. I mean, football. You can't. I mean, football too, man. Like, how can you? Yeah, but I mean, you got linemen that are not thinking. every single position, but the, for the most part, football, right? Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger. Do you think he's in like great shape? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think football. It's like it's it's the intensity of the seconds that the play is happening. Like basketball, over twelve minutes in a quarter, you can take off a play or two or three. Like football, if you're in there and you take off, you're going to die. Yeah. Like you're going to get hurt. Right. <clears throat> okay. So then he plays baseball and then he comes back. Talk about Terry Francona for a second. So he was, I mean, he, he, his quote was that he thinks that Jordan would have made it to the majors had he had enough time to, you know, hone his craft and figure it out. What do you think of that? Eh. I don't buy I think it. that's Terry Francona talking about Michael Jordan on a documentary. Right, exactly. I, I feel the same way. Like, like, hey, we we want you to talk about Michael Jordan. And like everybody's like, oh my God, like he could he could like jump to the moon. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> he wouldn't have made it to the So this is a good time for I just heard this, and I don't, I don't know nothing about whether this is true or not, but this was Michael Jordan's production company who was behind us. You heard this? Meaning, like, it's not like a completely independent, unbiased documentary that was produced by somebody who was not attached to Michael. What does that mean? I mean, does that mean that they excluded certain footage or made it kind of look a certain way? Um, because one of the things when it first started was like, oh, Jordan's afraid that he's going to come off looking like an asshole. And eight episodes in, I don't think he looks like an asshole at all. I like him more than I did before I saw this. Um, and is that because it was sort of like the lens of Michael's crew, as opposed to maybe like showing some other stuff that was that happened that we're not going to know about? Yeah, I mean, I think that they there's been very little critique of Michael. I mean, it's all been Michael and how awesome he is. They had one episode where they talked about he's a bad teammate and they show him like yelling at people. But even with that, you're still going to spin it and go, 
Yeah, but I need someone like that and that competitive nature on their team if they want to win championships. Okay, so he's, he's even good when he's bad. Like, I'm a little over the praise of him in the documentary. I mean, it's like eight episodes of Michael is the greatest. I knew that it was his decision to release this footage. I didn't know that it was his production company or whatever putting it together. But, like, I expected this. I think I expected it to be very much, like, pro-Jordan. But to Jeff's point, every one of those interviews, they end up saying, however, he was he was a really yeah. great teammate because he was doing it so that we could win. And, um, and I don't know, if, of course, I, I don't know if this is true, but, like, the whole Ken Burns thing where Ken Burns was critical of the documentary because Ken is saying it's not really unbiased. It's Michael's production company. It's not somebody coming in and telling the true story. I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah, I mean, like his first year in the league, he like goes to the hotel room where all the all the players are. He knocks on the door and he and they, they let him in. They're like, oh, it's a rookie. Let him in. And they're all doing drugs. And he's like, I'm out of here. Like, sure you were, Michael. Sure. Give me a break, dude. Like, I think that was a total lie. Well, we also have to remember where this came from. So it was 2016 when LeBron beat the Warriors. And he, LeBron's probably at his all-time most popular. That Jordan's like, you know what? I got to release this now. Like, yeah. he sensed yeah. that the transition was happening and that people were forgetting about how great Mike is. So let me put together a documentary with footage I've completely, like, seen and, like, agreed to. And yeah. let's put out a killer 10-part documentary. Like, it's a very petty move from the beginning. So yeah. it doesn't really surprise me that we're getting, you know, a little bit of like rose colored glasses. It makes multiple people look like, like Isaiah, Gary Payton looks like a, like a douche in this, you know, when he's talking about how he, you know, I knew how I came out. Michael, like wore him down. I tired him out. And then Jordan's just laughing when he's watching the footage. I mean, so funny. Uh, Jerry comes off looking pretty good. Guy looks like he's going to have a heart attack every second of the day. They make him sound like a jerk, too. I continue to just marvel at like the in-game footage and the the um, Hornet series where what was it? BJ Armstrong is that his name? Where he was like, "I know how to beat them," you know, like this. Like I can, yeah. I, I can tell you how to beat the Bulls. And he comes down the court. Jordan gets hit with a screen and he hits like a 15 foot jumper right? and he just does that over and over. And like, obviously it was effective, but I'm like in today's game, that's happening 15 feet further, 20 feet further. No one goes under a screen. Like, <laughs> and I'm not saying that to shit on it. I just like, it's so cool to see that evolution, like yeah. how different they played then and how successful the Bulls, and in that case, B.J. Armstrong, were playing a way that if you dropped them, picked them up, and put them in the NBA today, like, they would lose by 100. Right. It's good basketball analysis by you, Meg. Thanks. <laughs> What's our top five? Top five non-Philly athletes of all time. I, I really kind of struggled with this. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm a Philly sports fan through and through. I never, I, I looked at it from the standpoint of 
Who was a non-Phillies athlete that I rooted for? Not rooted for when they played against us because I never rooted for anyone when they played against the, my, my Philly teams. But if they were playing against us and I was watching the game, I rooted for them. Not many, man. I'm with you. Same. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> sure. Okay, so obviously LeBron is number one, which I don't think anyone is surprised. God, LeBron love is so annoying. I don't know why you get so annoyed by it. Dude, if they had an ice cream flavor called LeBron James, you would love it. I have a, a hand-painted like picture of him in my room. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> um, so I really like Aaron Rodgers. Always kind of rooted for him. Like you were just saying, Jeff, if he's playing the Eagles, I'm not. But if I'm rooting for another team for whatever reason, I've always gravitated towards him. Not exactly sure why. Dwayne Wade. Love him. Uh, okay, and these next two, like I really struggled. I tried to go outside of base or outside of basketball, so I put Derek Jeter because oh I think God, I kind of no. like him. Oof, no. But I'm also he's worried a- that he's one of the people I said I'm most annoyed by. Like he's a Yankee. It, I know. I don't know. I like any Yankees? No. I think it was mostly because like I was attracted to him. You know, <laughs> that's pretty shallow. you <laughs> because you're so hot. I mean, I had Christian McCaffrey on that strictly for that reason, but I took him off. Um, and then the last one is Shaq. Okay. And I think my like like of him has actually gotten like I've liked him more since he's retired. I love him on TV. I think he's hysterical. Um, so that's it. Okay. So I guess by that, those standards, I got Anna Kornikova. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm kidding. Um, mine are weird because I have a lot that came to mind, but they're old. Meaning like I loved them when I was a kid, like I had their jerseys or whatever, but like Recent years, I, I haven't really like looked at another non-Philly athlete, even if it's hockey, and been like, "Man, I love." With the exception of one or two, but um, this is no order. Earl Campbell, do you ever see footage of Earl Campbell, Jeff or Meg? It's like black and white, dude. Houston Oilers number thirty-four, running over linebackers left and right, just a beast. Loved watching him play. And by the way, along that line, you got me to laugh, but one of my favorite all-time non-Philly athletes, because I have to go back to the years when I was just like a little kid, is OJ. OJ. I I I mean, I watched him. I was young, but I was able to watch him. I had posters in my room. I mean, he was my favorite player in the NFL for a while. And obviously, he was a stud. I've got Bo Jackson. Oh, that's a good Ooh, one. That's man. a good one. I mean, who wouldn't? Who didn't love just watching him play football and baseball and anything else he did, like battle of the network stars or any of those sort sort of things? Like Bo Jackson was, was goes without saying. That's a really good one, man. I'm I'm pissed I didn't think of that. <laughs> and then my other two is um, one's a current player. It's Connor McDavid, best player in the best like 
most talented player, the hockey player in the world now, like future Hall of Famer, just one of these guys like you'll stop what you're doing to watch him play. And then my last one is one that at the time I wasn't there, but I've come to appreciate what how insane he was, is Mario Lemieux. Unbelievable. And, and there's people who say he's the best of all time who played against him. He battled like cancer. He battled horrible back issues and battled a lot of physical stuff. Played in an era where you could murder people on the ice and not get called for it. And he just took it and still shattered records and had had like a career cut short. But like the, those are my five that come to mind. I've got others, but uh, I'll stop there. I think that's the best time. Mike is done. I mean, that was clearly really? the best. Yeah, I do. I didn't know like three of the five he talked about, so yeah. I can't yeah. necessarily agree. But. Clearly prepared this time, whereas usually he does it like three minutes before we start the pod. Very true. So Michael Jordan, obviously, I rooted for him. I went to games. Uh, huge fan. And then the rest are all football players. Because there's no hockey players. There's no... I thought about Cal Ripken Jr., but I didn't really root for him. I could care less. I just wanted to see him break the consecutive game streak or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> Walter Payton, sweetness was yeah, good one. Good one. Awesome to watch, man. Um, I liked and rooted for Tio. I was a huge fan of Tio. See, that's the thing, though, Jeff. Like, I had a few of those guys that I disqualified because if they ever appeared in a Philly uniform, they they didn't count. Well, I rooted for him before he was an Eagle. Okay. Really rooted for him. I mean, I fell in love with him when he was an Eagle. Uh, Barry Sanders. Yeah. How he didn't make anybody else's list. I I thought of him. Unbelievable to watch and just a just to seem like a nice guy, super quiet. And, and um <laughs> and Drew Brees. I love I love Drew Brees, man. I root for that guy. I want to see him win. So was Jeff was like Joe Montana a little bit like before your time? No, he was in my wheelhouse. I, I didn't I didn't like him. I wasn't you like, didn't a, like him. I mean I, I no I, I he, there was so much love for Joe Montana and Jerry Rice that I kind of turned me like, you know, I don't want to be like everyone else and just love on San Francisco 40 freaking Niners. Like, who cares about them? So, yeah, I guess I really don't like Joe Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Another top five. <laughs> All good stuff, guys. Yeah. Good stuff. Signing off. <laughs> yeah. See ya.